And Father, we pray that for ourselves this morning. We recognize that we all come here in a different place. Uh, we come here rejoicing in various things, but struggling and suffering with different things. And so, Father, we come here because we know we need you. We need your guidance. We need our hearts turned back to you. And, Father, that's why we come to your word this morning. Because, Father, we pray that as we turn to your word that you would speak and that you'd speak clearly and powerfully to each one of us this morning. And, and all of the anxieties and all of the burdens and all of the fears and all of the busyness of our lives would be pushed to the side for a moment so that we could hear you speak clearly and powerfully to us this morning. And may we leave um, as people who've heard from God and changed as a result of it. So, Father, we pray that you would open our ears to hear, our eyes to see, and our hearts to receive what you have to say to us this morning. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Well, we're continuing our way through the Gospel of John. Our passage is John 8, 21 through 29. It will be up on the screen, but if you have your Bibles with you, I always encourage you to have them open in front of you. There are Bibles in the chairs in front if you want to grab one of those. Um, our TV is being temperamental this morning in the back, so I'm going to have to keep turning around to make sure I know what's going on back All right, we're going to read John Chapter 8, verses 21 through 29. One more I'm going away, and you will look for me, and you will die in your sin. Where I go, you cannot come. This made the Jews ask, will he kill himself? Is that why he says, where I go, you cannot come? But Jesus continued, you are from below, I'm from above. You are Told you that you would die in your sins. If you do not believe that I am He, you will indeed die in your sins. Who are you? They asked. Just what I've been claiming all along, Jesus replied. I have much to say in judgment of you, but He who sent me is reliable, and what I have heard from Him I tell the world. They did not understand that He was telling them about His Father, so Jesus said, When you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he, and that I do nothing on my own, but speak just what the Father has taught me. The one who sent me is with me. He's not left me alone, for I always do what pleases him. Um, you know, last week I mentioned that, that one of the, the hurdles we encounter as we're out in the world as we're sharing our faith is, is you know, a lot of people struggle with the, the idea and the concept of hell, right? And so we have to learn how to kind of interact and engage with that. But uh, one of the things I, I've realized over the world, it's not just non-Christians who struggle with the doctrine of hell. Christians wrestle with this, and they're trying to understand it. And, uh, you know, I remember having one conversation with, with a very, very faithful Christian um, on, on the topic. Oh, uh, it was quite a few years ago. And I don't remember what I had preached on exactly. I remember I was preaching on something about the end times, because that comes up quite often in the Gospels. Jesus talks about the end times quite a bit. 
And, uh, and basically every passage where it talks about Jesus coming again to judge the living and the dead also speaks of a group of people who will refuse to follow Jesus even though they see him clearly. That, that there will be people when Jesus comes to, to judge the living and the dead, they will say, I would rather die, please kill me, than, than, follow, than follow Jesus. They'll refuse to repent. Um, and really, what the, the outworking is, they, they would rather go to hell than to follow Jesus. And, and so I was talking with this, this member of my congregation after my sermon, and, and they said something like, I just have a really, really hard time believing that people will see God, will see Jesus, and won't repent. I just I have a hard time fathoming that reality. And, and I remember when they said that, I paused for a moment because I thought, I have a hard time believing that too. That, that anybody would see God in all his glory and his might, or see Jesus for who he really truly is, and say, no, nah, I'd, I'd rather go to hell. Uh, and, and I was trying to figure out, like, how do, I, how do I explain this to them? And I'm wrestling with that, but Scripture's clear that, that that's what happens, that, that there will be people who won't repent, who will willingly reject Jesus for eternity. And, uh, and as I was kind of processing in my brain, uh, this person said, well, I guess the problem is I'm still thinking of everyone as basically good. And I went, that's right. And it was a rebuke of me. Because I was thinking that too. Because if people are basically good, of course they would want to follow Jesus. Of course they would want to follow God if it was very clear to them. And yet, that's not the picture of humanity that Scripture gives us. Um, The Heidelberg Catechism sums it up in one short phrase that makes everybody uncomfortable, but it's accurate. It says this. Well, if my clicker decides to work. I have a natural tendency to hate God and my neighbor. That's true. Uh, That's true of everybody in this room. Um, And it's true of every person you meet. Uh, And we don't like to admit it. We don't like to talk about it. We like to pretend like we're all pretty good, and yet the reality is our natural tendency is not to love God and follow Him. And our natural tendency is also not to love God, uh, to love and serve our neighbor. That kind of left to ourselves and our kind of natural bent is to hate God and hate our neighbor. And and if we actually believe this, and this is very clear in Scripture, then it's actually not hard for us to understand the concept that there will be some people who will continue to hate God forever. That that's their, that's their natural tendency. And, and I bring that up because that's one of the main points of this of this passage in this interaction between Jesus and and the Pharisees and Jesus and some of the the Jewish leaders and you know last week I mentioned that 
You know, Jesus was recognizing that these Jewish leaders were, they had no desire to actually hear from him. And so he was kind of getting, he was done playing their games. And Jesus, I said he was being sassy. That's probably not theologically accurate. But, but he was done messing around. He was, things were kind of ramping up. Things were getting more intense. And this week, Jesus kind of ramps everything up a whole nother notch. I mean, he says this to them. He says, I'm going away. You will seek me, and you will die in your sin. Where I'm going, you cannot come. He's saying that to the the leaders, the Pharisees, the Jewish leaders. He says, you will die in your sin. And, and, you know, every commentary I, I read this week said what, what Jesus is doing here, I mean, he's, he's, he's speaking really hard. And, and what he's doing, it's a warning, and he's kind of bringing them to this point of making a decision, saying, are you for me or are you against me? It's one or the other. And, and you have to make a decision. Are you for me or against me? Because if you continue to be against me, you will die in your sin. And, and you know, he, he actually says something that makes us really, really uncomfortable. He says, you will seek me and you will die in your sin. And that's really hard uh, because kind of at first glance when we look at that, it, it almost paints this picture of people wanting to be saved by Jesus and not being saved. Um, and that's not exactly what's going on. Because clarify later on, but he's saying it to kind of shock them into realizing a few things. But but based on what Jesus says later on, we know that what he's saying is, in a way, you will continue to seek me in the wrong ways, and you will die in your sins. Or as another commentator put it, which is probably clearer but a little more complicated, he says, he says you're going to continue to seek the Messiah which is who I am, but you don't believe I am. You're going to continue to seek that Messiah in all the wrong places. You will never find him, and I'm going to go away, and you will die in your sins. And the reality is, that's been happening from the beginning, Um, and it's still happening today. Um, you know, I made reference in my prayer that we have the Jewish people are still longing for a Messiah when the Messiah has come. But it's not just the Jewish people. They're not the only ones who have a natural tendency to hate God and neighbor. So do we. And we seek Messiahs all the time apart from Christ. Because we don't want to follow him. <laughs> like, I don't want to follow him. I, so somebody else save me. Anybody? else rescue and then we wander through life seeking another messiah and jesus says if you keep doing that you will die in your sins we try to save ourselves we try to make ourselves the messiah right that's really one of the most common day most common heresies i'd say today is you can save yourself you're strong enough you're smart enough you will do it pull yourself up save yourself and jesus says if you try to do that You will keep seeking for a Messiah. You will never find him. And you will die in your sins. Um, 
There's only one Messiah. There's only one Savior. And apart from him, there's no salvation. Uh, You could try to save yourself. You could look for someone else to save you, but you will end up spending your whole life seeking and never finding, and you'll die in your sin. And and just to kind of help us understand the the weight of this is to, to just take a moment for us to recognize the depth and the weight of what sin is. Because again, we have a hard time talking about how, how bad sin is. We, we, we have kind of little things, it's not that bad. Just a little mistake. Just a, a white lie. Or what, you know, everything we say tries to downplay it like, well, it wasn't that big a deal. I didn't really do... We try to downplay it. And yet, Scripture is very clear that, that sin is rebellion against the God who created you. And... And, and also, one of my favorite ways of saying it, that, that Proverbs kind of paints it, as sin is not just, it's a rebellion against the God who created you, but it's a refusal to live in line with the reality of how God has created the world. And so you're looking around saying, this is how the world functions, and you're saying, but I'm not going to live that way. I'm going to live my own way, not the way God has created the world. Right? Scripture says repeatedly that sin is the path of death, and destruction. It says the wages of sin is death. And, and here's what, what always kind of gets me is that I think we know that. That when we're really honest with ourselves, we know it. That, that sin is the path of death and destruction because we've seen it. We try to downplay it in our own lives. Well, like what they did was really bad and that hurt them, but, but it's different for me. I'm not. But, but we see it all the time. I mean, we, we all live in the world. We have friends and family members who we've watched sin completely destroy their lives. Right? I mean, I, I guarantee nobody in this room can say they have never experienced or, or been around someone whose life has been destroyed by adultery. In one form or another, whether it was a physical act or, or lust, you've watched people be eaten up by that and completely destroyed by that. Right? We've watched people who have lived their lives lying and stealing what has happened to them? They've completely been destroyed and eaten up. It's the path of death and destruction. We've, we've watched people who've refused to worship God the way he's called them to worship him. And that's destroyed people. I, I see it all. So we watch people who used to kind of walk down the path of sin and, and they walk down the path of destruction. We watch it tear their lives apart. And yet we try to say, well, it would be different for me. And it won't. Scripture said the wages of sin is death. And, and don't pretend like it's not going to happen to you. And don't pretend like it's not that big of a deal and people who are close to you. The, the reality is that's what's going to happen. And Jesus is saying, and if you keep wandering down that path of death and destruction, you will die in your sins. And the, the only solution is what he says. He says, I told you that you would die in your sins for unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. And he says, that's the only solution. If you continue to reject me, then you will die in your sins. But if you believe that I am he, that I'm the Messiah, 
I'm the one sent by God. I'm the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Unless you believe that I am He, you will die in your sins. But if you do believe that I'm the Messiah and you you turn from your sin and you put your faith and your trust in me, then you won't die in your sin. He said, I'll cleanse you. I'll forgive you. I'll renew you. I'll pull you out of the pit. I'll set your feet on a rock. I'll set your feet on paths of righteousness that lead to life, that don't lead to death. He said, "I'll, I'll do that work in you. And, and really one of the really, the, the beautiful things I came across this week in studying this passage that, that, you know, everything that Jesus is referencing in this kind of confrontation, he's pointing back to these prophecies from the Old Testament, especially from the book of, book of Isaiah. You know, in the book of Isaiah, chapters 42, I think, through 53, they're all called the servant songs. It's like 10, 11 chapters, and it's all talking about the servant of the Lord, the servant of the Lord, whom God's going to send to save and deliver his people. And so it's clearly talking about the Messiah. The Jewish people had been reading these for a long time, longing for this servant to come and save them. And here's one of the songs at the very beginning. It says, You are my witness, my servant whom I have chosen. That you may know and believe and understand that I am He. Before me, no God was formed, nor shall there be any after me. I, I am the Lord, and besides me, there is no Savior. And it's beautiful because this ties up like all of the themes of John about witnesses that, and it connects perfectly with what Jesus is saying. But, but notice what this passage says. It's, it's really, you have to kind of slow down. God's saying to his people, you are my witnesses. And then he says, and my servant is going to be my witness, right? And what are they going to witness to? That you may know and believe and understand that I am he. Who's the he? The Messiah. So the Messiah is going to come and he's going to witness to them that who's the Messiah? God himself. And so Jesus now is is standing in front of the Jewish people. He's quoting this scripture to them, the Jewish leaders, and he's saying, I'm the servant. I'm the Messiah. I'm the Messiah who is also God. And besides me, there's no Savior. You, You look elsewhere, you will continue to die in your sins. But if you look to me, I will be your Savior. I will deliver you from sin and death. And their response, who are you? And, and, and again, it, it's hard because we, we always kind of want to give them the benefit of the doubt and say, well, maybe they're actually like, tell us who you are. No. This, they're... They're continuing, they've been mocking Jesus, and so this is not a genuine desire to know who he is. It's a like, who are you? Is the tone of their voice. Or, and, and this other line that comes later says, they didn't understand. He'd been speaking to them about the Father. Um, but that, that be, they did not understand is the repeated refrain throughout this. That Jesus, doesn't matter how clearly he reveals himself, doesn't matter how strongly he warns them. It doesn't matter how powerful he works in their midst. They just don't 
understand. And they mock him, and they, they attack him, and the question is, why? Um, and Jesus answers that. He says, you're from below. I'm from above. You're of this world. I'm not of this world. And Jesus says, that's, that's why they don't understand. That's why they mock him. That's why they attack him. Jesus says, they're, they're earthly. They're, they're of this world. They only see and, and think as if people from this world. And Jesus says, I'm actually, I'm from heaven. I'm not of this world. I'm coming differently. And so they're, they're actually of this world. They're looking for a worldly Messiah. And Jesus is not that. And so they say, well, we don't want you. We're looking for a different Messiah. He's, he's going to be better than you. And Jesus says, no, it's what you can't see me. You can't understand me because you're so focused on what's happening in the world around you that you're missing me as the heavenly Messiah. And, and they're in this position where they're, they're looking for the wrong Messiah in the wrong places, and like I talked about at the beginning, they have this natural tendency to hate God and hate their neighbor. And, and we have to realize that's still the case today. That's <laughs> um, a case today in our own lives. Everyone, every person here, I don't, I don't care who it is, if you've been in this church for 50 years, 60 years, or if it's your first time, every person here this morning, your natural tendency still is, is to hate God, hate your neighbor, and to look for other messiahs, and to look for them in all the wrong places. And, and we have to recognize that that's actually true as we go out into the world and as we try to share our faith with our friends and family and co-workers that, that we're speaking to people whose natural tendency is to hate God and want a different Savior. And they're going to look for that Savior in all the wrong places. And, and when we recognize that, it kind of helps us feel pretty helpless. Like, how would anybody ever come to believe? Right? If they're, if they're blind and looking for it, they hate God. Like, why would anybody ever believe in Jesus? Uh, so the question, like, what do we say? How, how do we interact with people? And uh, I, we'll get to that. But first I want to point out how Jesus did not respond. Because um, there's particular things that Jesus doesn't He's talking to people who, have, who are looking for a different Messiah. He doesn't pretend that sin is not that bad. And he doesn't try to downplay the law of God. He doesn't act like everyone's basically good and like everyone's going to heaven. He's not ashamed of God's word. And Jesus, out of anybody in all of the scriptures, is not afraid to talk about it. does as he's speaking to people who have a natural tendency to hate him and and who are looking for the wrong messiahs in all the wrong places is he kind of doubles down and he just presses the issue with them. He's not a jerk, but he just presses the issue with them and he points out, you're chasing the wrong messiah here, putting your faith in hope here. Continue to chase that Messiah. You try to continue to put your faith and hope over here. If you keep going down that road, you will die in your sin. And he puts it that clearly, that bluntly, 
and says, where do you choose? And, and I think we can learn from that. And, and I don't some people that like to kind of like hammer people so they'll take a message like this and go out and condemn everybody to hell, you know. Um, that's not what I'm talking about. And yet, I, I'm talking about Christians not being afraid, uh, not being ashamed of Scripture's teaching, and not, not being worried about talking to someone and being able to say, you know, if you keep on down this road, you will die in your sin. You're not saying that as a jerk. You're saying that because you love them. Because you don't want them to continue in their sin. And and that's how Jesus did that. And and we just have to keep being faithful in in our witness of just pointing people to Jesus over and over, helping them see if you continue down this path, it's not going to work out well, and then trust that the Holy Spirit's doing a work. Because the only reason anybody would ever believe in Jesus, including yourself, is that the Holy Spirit has done a work in you and in them. Um, But then Jesus, he really paints an even starker picture at the end. And this is the one that just always blows my mind. He says, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he. And, And when Jesus talks about being them lifting up the Son of Man, he's talking about being lifted up on the cross. And he's emphasizing the word, you. He's talking to the Jewish leaders and saying, when you have lifted me up and killed me on the cross. And he's pointing out that they will continue to reject him, continue to refuse to believe in him, to the point where they will hang him on a cross. And yet he says, when I'm hanging there on the cross, you will know that I am he. You'll know that I'm the Messiah. And yet, they will not believe. And that's the hard part. They will know beyond a shadow of a doubt that Jesus is the Messiah. And they will not believe. And that's the hard part we have, right? I talked about at the beginning of my sermon. How in the world can they see Jesus so clearly and not believe? And it's because they have a natural tendency to hate God and hate their neighbor. And it doesn't matter how clearly they see him. doesn't matter how they still won't believe. They're still going to look for another Messiah. They're still going to try to save themselves. And they'll die in their sins. And as we go out and, and share our faith in the world, we have to recognize we're going to encounter this regularly. Where it doesn't matter how... how how clearly you present the gospel, how clearly you point to Jesus' powerful work in your life, there will be people who will just refuse and never believe. And and what we have to realize is as as we share our faith is that it's never been our job to make them a Christian. And it's never been our job to convince them to become a Christian. Our job is to witness, to just keep pointing, say, Jesus is over here, and if you continue to reject him, you'll die in your sin. So turn, follow him. And, and even if they know who Jesus is, they'll still die in their sin if they don't believe in him. They don't trust him. And, and when we get this, 
And one of the things I was convicted of that I was writing, I kept saying in my sermon as I was writing it, it's amazing that people would see Jesus for who he is and not believe in him. And then I had to stop and say, actually, the amazing thing is, is that anyone would ever believe in Jesus. That's really the amazing thing. Not that people reject Jesus. That's our natural tendency. The amazing thing is that some people actually turn from their sin, are forgiven and cleansed in Jesus Christ, and grab hold of him as their Savior. That's the amazing thing. And, and it was not because anybody was such a great witness. Um, and, and if you were, have, have ever been someone who's witnessed to someone and they gave their life to Christ, that's good. But it wasn't because you did a great job. It was because the power of the Holy Spirit was at work in that person's heart and, and working through you. Um, and, and that's the only way they ever came to believe. And so what, what helps us in that is it can feel exhausting going out into the world, sharing the faith, sharing the gospel with people and not seeing any fruit. And, and the reality is you don't have to be like discouraged or disappointed or try to come up with all these crazy methods to share the gospel. You just have to be faithful. Trust the Holy Spirit to work and God will work through you in the lives of your friends, in the lives of your family, in the community. And on the other hand, I've encountered a bunch of people who are powerful evangelists and people are coming to the faith and they kind of walk around with their chest puffed out like, I am such a good evangelist. And I want to say, no, you're not. The Holy Spirit's an amazing evangelist and he's working through you like, get off your high horse. And so people aren't going to hell because of your lack of witness. Just keep being faithful and pointing people to Jesus. And people aren't going to heaven because you're such a good witness. Keep being faithful, pointing people to Jesus, and God will work. And the Holy Spirit will work, and he will draw people to himself. And, you know, as I end, I want to make sure we remember that, you know, everything we've said about sharing our faith with people out there is true with us. And, And we have to remind ourselves of this regularly. That not just people out there in the world have a natural tendency to hate God, but we do. Um, every day, you're going to have to fight that natural tendency. And, and it's a reminder for us that none of us have believed in Jesus because we were smarter, because we were better, because God looked down and said, well, that person's really great. I need them to know. Actually, the Bible says the opposite. It says, who are you when you were chosen? None of you are weak, powerful, wise. You are a bunch of weak Fools is what Paul says. And that's why God chose you, so he can make his glory known through weakness. And, but it's a reminder for us that left to our own devices, we would have never believed in Jesus. We would have just continued to reject him, continued to hate him, and we would have died in our sins. The only reason we believed in Jesus is because the Holy Spirit did a powerful work in you. And he opened your eyes so that when you saw Jesus, you not only knew who he was, but you believed in him. And you said, that's the Messiah. And he will cleanse me of my sin. He'll forgive me of my sin. And I I give my life to him. I entrust that to him. And, And the Spirit's at work in you, helping open your eyes to that. But also, the Spirit's at work in you, opening your eyes to now see, like, Oh, I see. That path I was on, that was the path of death and destruction. I don't want to go down that path because that's bad. 
Over here is the path of life. I want to walk down that because as I walk down this, I have life and energy down this path. And so the Spirit opens your eyes to see the difference in the world and gives you strength and courage to walk down paths of righteousness, as Psalm 23 says, paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And so the response for all of this for us on a daily basis is to, to wake up every day, open your Bible, and then get on your knees and pray to God and say, you know, if it wasn't for you, I wouldn't be here. Um, I'm not smart. I'm weak. I have no idea what I'm doing. I need you. And thank you for saving me and delivering me from my sin. Let's come to him in prayer. Heavenly Father, uh, we, we do that now. We come to you as people who truly are prideful and arrogant at our core. Pride, honestly, on a daily basis, think that we are stronger, um, better than we are. We take credit for the work that you're doing in our lives and through us. And so, Father, we, we come to you now and we just confess. We confess to you as our God and Father that we've taken your position, we've rebelled against you, and we have made a mess out of things. And so, Father, we ask you to forgive us. Forgive us for our pride, forgive us for our arrogance, um, and cleanse us from that, and renew us and empower us through the Spirit so that we would not go out living each day trusting in ourselves or looking for other messiahs, but empower us through the Spirit so that each day, every moment, we would rely and trust in you and recognize your strength, your power, your cleansing, your forgiveness. So, Father, stir that up in our hearts and may that not create pride or arrogance in us, but do what it's supposed to do, create humble people who praise you for the way that you've worked in our lives. And may we humbly rejoice in the work that you've done. May we humbly praise you. And then may we humbly go out into the world and speak the gospel in our communities. And all God's people said, amen.